Welcome back to The Map, The Martial Arts Professional, a podcast brought to you by Empower, a Kokinos company. I'm here today with Professor Peter McHugh, my partner, and we're looking forward to an outstanding discussion. My name is Thomas Clifford. Here we go. How are you today, Professor? I'm doing fantastically well, Kiyoshi. I'm excited to talk to you today. How are you? Great. Looking forward to our discussion. What uh, we left off last week, and we were talking about bringing up the topic of apprenticeships, the that mentors have in our lives. And uh, we finished last week with staff development. So these two subjects tie in beautifully. Where's your mind at? I'm I'm riding high this week. If you guys listened to the last episode, I talked about this monster staff meeting we had coming up. And we have a lot of people that were onboarding, you know, so to speak. And uh, I'll be honest with you guys. This was probably the uh, the biggest, most important, and definitely the most impactful and powerful staff meeting that I've had. This is the one that I went into with the most direction and which is probably why I got the most out of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't tell you this yet, but I used your model. I used your model for the staff meeting and it it went incredibly well. We led with, uh, you know, a lot of acronyms like gas, genuine, authentic, sincere. We went into uh, red, white, and blue. And, and those two things right there that encapsulates, you know, what I think is is a, is a well-run Academy in itself. Um, but that kind of is a good segue to what we're doing today. So if I didn't have, you know, that direction from you, that experience, like, you know, your firsthand experience that you taught to me, I would have been floundering, flopping in the wind, if you will. I wouldn't know where to take it. So I thank you for that. Thank you. It's very easy for a staff meeting to, to get off track, to go into the weeds. Right. As is, uh, one of the problems with teaching a class. Um, one, one of the challenges with our competence is our competence often prevents our excellence. What I mean by that is we can teach off the cuff and we know enough to be able to get away with that, but we're not looking to get away with anything. We're, we're looking to advance our cause forward. Getting away with it is just a very low, low, low standard. So when it comes to staff meetings and staff development and the time you're going to invest in the in the growth of your team, proper planning prevents poor performance. You know, you want to go in there with a plan, plan your work, work your plan, you get it done. And if you're just doing it off the cuff and let's see what comes up and it's not well thought out. And if you haven't put in at least five minutes of preparation for every one minute that meeting is going to last, you will flounder. You will have mediocre results. So I I think you're on your seven year anniversary of, of teaching now of, of your, you know, when you opened up your Academy and you started group instruction, are you about seven seven days today, seven years ago today, we, uh, we had our first day of classes, full official day classes. Okay. So part of this staff meeting, I mean, it's, it's interesting that it, it landed on a, it kind of the same time as you're, you know, you're seven years in, you want to move forward. You have some very serious goals. How much of the meeting was built around your future vision? That was a big part of it. Uh, We ended with that, you know, bringing everybody together. And I think it, it really helps motivate everybody when we understand the the common goal like the lofty common goal so we're all you know moving in the same direction but yeah we ended with that it was good beautiful so you ended the meeting with that but it would be fair to say that you began the meeting with that you i did yes certainly that's important that you have that fire burning inside and that and and that you don't keep it a secret it's a great idea that you include your team in, in the vision. It's not only your vision, it's their vision as well. I mean, my understanding is when you're, when you're gonna go forward and you're gonna open up a, a new academy in a, a building that you own, uh, it's their academy too. Their, their names aren't necessarily gonna be on the mortgage or the sign, 
but it's going to be their academy as well. And to include them in that vision is only, it's the right thing to do. It, it motivates and inspires them. Uh, and it also keeps them out of the dark. I think yeah. it's very important to keep that transparency about what it is that you're up to. And why would it be a bad idea if you kept it a closely guarded secret? What would be your thought on why it would be a bad idea to keep that to yourself? I mean, there's a few things there, but you know, like any other goal, when you hide a goal from the world, it's, are you really serious about it? It's cowardly. Yeah. Like, I don't think so. I think you need to put things out there for accountability purposes. Right. Um, but in terms of like sharing like the grand scheme of things with my, my staff members, it's, I've always been very transparent with that and they feel like they're on board, you know, that they're, they're part of like the mission and they, they're more invested in it when they know about it. When you treat something like a dirty, sneaky secret, it ends up becoming perceived as a dirty, sneaky secret. And, and that's the last perception that you want them to have. Like it's not a dirty, sneaky secret, but it would be, a shame if it was perceived that way. So getting them involved and getting them understanding it and bringing it into their consciousness is only going to help to advance the cause forward, to move things in the direction you want them to go. Tell me a little bit more about the meeting. Let's talk about the role that, um, that, that you assumed in that meeting. Did you, did you pass it off to someone else or did you take charge. I, I passed it off at uh, very calculated times. So, you know, I, I put a bunch of responsibility on coach Tony at times for a few reasons. One is that's a really good way of, of, of nabbing him. Right. I notice him, I appreciate him and I believe him. So I put him in a, a position to walk everybody through um, like, you know, his little tips and tricks on how to build rapport with a, a little kid. Yeah. Um, I had, you know, Juliana walk everybody through like her organization scheme and things like that. So, you know, I found little opportune times to, to put the ball in their court and give them more responsibility. Um, but there was definitely separation. Like I definitely took that leadership role. Um, and man, the most, I think the most powerful thing of the staff meeting was we all do certain things so well, it gave us an opportunity to highlight the things that each of us bring to the table but it also gave us a chance to to learn the same language and speak the same language, become, behave, believe, belong. And, you know, uh, just, you know, depth, all the, all the acronyms that we talk about on here and the things that they do that they, they might not realize they do, they do it very well. Now we're speaking the same language. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's powerful. Uh, <clears throat> did they have an opportunity to recognize each other's strengths? Did, was there, was it only you pointing to, what people have achieved and where their strengths are and what their unique competencies are? Or were you able to create an environment where they were recognizing each other for their unique contributions to the cause? Oh, no, absolutely. So I kind of got this from you too, which, you know, the way you look at, at, at developing your program, one of the questions you ask is, you know, how can we better serve our community? How can we better serve our students? So I, I put the ball in their court and I say, what do we do very well? And who does this very well? Give me some examples. And you know, that's for a few reasons. One is so they can highlight each other, but my follow-up question is what don't we do that? Well, what do we need to work on? Mm, beautiful. Excellent. Yeah. I, I think that if, uh, if it doesn't occur to someone to acknowledge, to uh, recognize others for their strengths, we have an obligation to facilitate that ritual in their lives, you know, that, that behavior. And I, I think it's our responsibility if we see that they, they don't naturally, they don't have a propensity to point out the redeeming characteristics of other people. I mean, everybody's pretty good at confessing people's sins. Yeah. Most people are very good at, confessing the sins of others. Uh, people are usually very good at being able to diagnose the flaws, the weaknesses, the inadequacies, the deficiencies. But it's great to give them an opportunity to learn how to recognize strengths as well. Right. It, it one, 
makes the the individual who's looking at the person for those strengths it makes them more perceptive it makes them more um gives them greater attention to detail it doubles if they're all already good at figuring out the weaknesses if they get as good at figuring out the strengths they've doubled their knowledge base they've literally doubled what it is that they know when they're making an evaluation. So that behooves them, that benefits them. Well, I'm in, along those same lines, like I like, I like a friendly competition, mm. right? Amongst instructors, right? Because that turns into who can teach the best class That's right. and, and everybody can benefit from that type of competition. But of course, like anything else, there's going to be a dark side, which is resentment or jealousy. Correct. And also like, 25 people showed up to Tony's class, but only 20 showed up to James's. So James, you know, he's jealous of Tony. And what we need to do is change the paradigm. And, and we, we spent a lot of time on, on teaching how to edify the instructors, how to boost up the instructors when somebody comes in. And that was a good opportunity. Like we should have talking points on the strengths of every instructor because they're all different. You know, Tony is like the best at building rapport with a little kid. And, you know, uh, Coach Pete is the, he's just the fun guy and like everybody loves being around, but we should know what everybody does well. It only helps people feel more comfortable with the class. So a good exercise is <clears throat> we have, uh, you have say six or seven guys on the team, six or seven instructors, um, people who are participating in the actual instruction of whatever martial arts you do um you have you have the other six talk about one at a time so there's seven people we choose one of them and the other six are going to talk about that person maybe the person leaves the room is a good way to do it and you're going to find that they're either very focused on the negative or they're very focused on the positive now, I would suggest that both are important. I don't, I don't think that it's a, a strength to disregard the awareness of weaknesses. Right. I think you should acknowledge the presence of deficiencies, but you want to get a sense of where everyone's at. And you'll find some people lean more toward seeing the cup half full. Some people lean more toward the cups half empty. Um, Ultimately, what you want is a full cup, right? You want a full cup. So you want to be able to acknowledge both sides of it. And it's a good, it's just a good training method. And what it does is it empowers the staff to be able to do the very same thing with guess who? The students. Right. I was going to ask you, like, what do you think the benefit is of having a culture where the instructors speak highly of each other? What do you think the benefit is? It's contagious. It's right. uh, you know, it's, it's, there's influenza and there's influence and we want positive influence, not negative influenza. So it's also contagious if they're an, envi an environment, if they're immersed in an environment where the instructors have nothing good to say about each other, where it's adversarial, there's backstabbing, um, they don't obey correct principle but they betray each other constantly that will trickle down that right. will have a, a terrible effect on the rest of the people in the school who we call our students not look not only that but the that it just takes away from the credibility of the instructor like your job our job the, the staff's job is to make sure the students and like, if you're going to talk about kids, it's a little bit easier. But my thing was with my staff is I want these kids that they, they already think you're a superhero. Mm -hmm. Like they don't think their soccer coach is a superhero. When they look at coach Allen, they think he's the strongest man alive. They really believe it. Do you know why they believe that they didn't see him lift up a building? It's because I say, coach Allen's the strongest man alive. Guys, look, the strongest man alive. Coach Allen is here. We're so lucky today. Mm -hmm. They believe that. Yes. Right. They want to, they want to impress coach Allen. They want to live their life like coach Allen, Yes, you know, and that's important that we have that for each of the, the, the instructors. Yeah. And if you don't frame things in that manner, the people who are also responsible for framing things in that manner are going to fall short. So right. if, 
they witness you doing it. They, they A, learn how to do it. They also see that it's attractive and appealing. They see the merit in it. They see that not only is it constructive and productive, but it feels good to do. You have to make it look good. You have to make it, you have to create the allure. You have to make it attractive and appealing. Right. And if they respect you because you've earned the respect, they will, they will follow that behavior. They will model that behavior. They will imitate that behavior. So, so the responsibility comes top down then, right? So a lot of the times, the way it's going to have to work out is, is the lead instructor, the mentor has to own enough of himself that he can give some away. That's true. And what, what my mentor taught me, and I, I shouldn't say my mentor, I have, I have many, but in the martial arts as a profession beyond world-class instruction, but operating a martial arts school in a manner that is going to uh, have succession, that, that there's potential for the leaving of a legacy. My mentor in that regard has been Mr. John Kokinos. And uh, what he said to me a long time ago is, Thomas, you're standing on the shoulders of giants. Now, he didn't include himself in that, but I did. Like, you know, when I think of that statement that I'm standing on the shoulder of a giant, I immediately think of him, but he was referring to others. And he said that if you don't acknowledge the fact that you're standing on the shoulders of giants, you'll end up sending a message that you're stepping on their heads, that you're stepping on their heads, that you're, that you're using people as stepping stones. And rather than standing on the shoulders of giants, you're just treating people as though they're disposable and you're kind of stepping on their heads. You're a, like a social climber. And as soon as you're done with people, you discard them. Right. So, so that is certainly a message that we can say comes from the top down. But paradoxically, what it really suggests is it comes from the bottom up because the giant is on the bottom. Right. You follow? Do you have yeah. The, the giant's on the bottom. Like the, the, you're a jujitsu guy. I mean, do you want it? Where do you want the base of the triangle? What I want yeah, when I, if I, if I'm ever capable of successfully sweeping a resisting training partner, I want to invert the triangle. I want to invert the pyramid. I want to put them on one point of it and take that point out from underneath them. What I don't want is for them to have a very solid triangular base. I have to get them on one point of that base and then remove it. Therein lies the sweep. So in a strong organization, I believe that the base of the pyramid is the leader of the organization. That's, that's my view of it. And that's what Mr. Kokinos taught me going back to 1991 when I first met him. How, do, how does one strengthen that base? Um, by not only accepting, but embracing the fact that you better remain a student. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, like, if I want to get better at jujitsu where I'm at right now, like the mistake I made when I first opened up my academy seven years ago, and I don't know that it was a mistake if it might, it, maybe I had to do it this way, but I went too long without seeing my instructor's face. Mm -hmm. I went too long living, you know, on my own mat, teach my own students and, and focusing on, on building my school without hearing my teacher's voice. And what do you think happened to my jujitsu? It atrophies. It at, yeah. you, know, you're, you, you remove the water, the sunlight and the healthy soil. You know, you're, you're, you took yourself out of the environment and you took yourself out of the influence of a person who's done nothing but provide you with the the nurture that you need to grow. Well, I think the mistake, and it's a, I think it's a very natural, common mistake, is I got my I earned my black belt. I know I know jujitsu. Hmm. 
You know, like I, I can figure this, the rest of it out on my own. I've got these tools. Likewise, like I know how to run a, a martial arts academy. Yes. I know how to answer the phone. I know how to enroll people. So I could just turn my phone off, right? Like I don't need to reach out to you. Like I don't need to go to the Empower Summit anymore. Correct? Yeah. Well, it, interestingly enough, there's a lot of truth to that. There is a lot of truth to that. That's why it's it can be a trap because when there's some truth, uh, you know, it's like bait. Like there's the, you know, bait is there's some of what you want. <laughs> right. It kind of looks like a real worm. Yeah. But there's a lot of what you don't want. It could be a real worm, but there's a whole lot of what you don't want involved. It's a trap. So when there's a little bit of truth, but not a lot of truth, you can expect a trap. So again, what, what Mr. Coquinos tried to, didn't try, but successfully explained to me is that Thomas, you already know everything that you need to know to run a very successful professional martial arts school. You already have the knowledge. Uh, part of what you're missing is the skill because knowledge and skill are two different things, but um, you're also missing the strategy. Like your, your strategy is underdeveloped. And the reason that your strategy is underdeveloped is because you haven't written your story. And, and then I, I said, well, I, I know my story. And I took a walk down memory lane. He said, that's, that's part one. You got to write part two, because you're going to have a part two. And either you're going to write part two, or it's going to be written for you. So what you need to do is you need to create a vision and live into it. And that's what you did this weekend when you had the staff meeting, you you're including your team because it's their vision as well. Now, if they don't, if they don't completely buy in and a better word would be invest into that vision, uh, they're not going to live into it. They're going to select themselves out because it's the vision is so strong and the culture that will create it is so powerful that anyone who's not invested in that vision will remove themselves in right. a world. Now you might have to help to remove them. You might have to, as Mr. Kokinos often tells me is sometimes you need to romance people out the door. You don't stand up and scream, you know, you're fired. And that's, that's not a good way to go about it, but you do need to, on occasion, romance people out the door and help them to land softly. Right. I feel that in every um, situation where uh, I've parted ways with, with former colleagues, I can say with all, all honesty and confidence, they've landed on their feet. That's important. I agree. That's I agree. Yeah. I, I want to get your take on this. So it, it's pretty obvious our role as a mentor on the mat, at least it's, it's much more obvious to me versus our role as a mentor for our staff, you know, and the people in our, in our circle, like on the mat, I think the, the more credible we could be as a martial artist and as, as like a leader, it, it makes the, that dynamic, the, the teacher student relationship more pure and, uh, and more effective. Mm -hmm. And it's very obvious that the student is looking to you to fill that role of mentor. Yes. I don't, I think it's not as obvious when it's like a staff member, right? What, what's the role uh, of us, I guess, as the employer, as the leader, as the mentor with our staff? Well, all right, let's go back again. And I'm, I'm going to keep mentioning Mr. Kokinos ad nauseum to those who are, uh, you know, sometimes people can't stand it <clears throat> when you recognize the role and the influence a person's had in your life. Um, and I don't know the genesis of, of that tendency for people to get uncomfortable when someone else is talking about uh, a role model or a mentor who's had such an impact in their lives. But I am going to take a stab at the reason why it does sometimes make people uncomfortable. It's not because they don't have a role model or a mentor in their lives. It's usually because they failed 
to fortify the relationship. They've often let the relationship go dormant. They've often sabotaged the relationship, ruptured the relationship. So to the listeners, I, I have compassion to when you're listening to someone talk about how a person's had such a profound and positive impact on the trajectory of their life, it, it can be painful. But I, I, I would caution you to make the fool's move, which is to tune out. The wise move would be to pay attention and to reestablish the relationship that you once had with, with the giant whose shoulders you're standing upon. It's not too late. And I, and I, the reason I'm saying that, Peter, I'm saying it to you because um, it's, it's too late when people pass. Right. And, uh, you know, we've both had people pass and we're going to have more people pass. We're going to pass. And I'm not talking about the guard, you know, I'm, right. I'm talking about the, the gates. So I, I just think that I would, I would encourage everyone not to get too dramatic, but if you know you're standing on the shoulders of a giant, stop stepping on their head. Yeah, I want to. I like to say, don't stand on the shoulders of giants and complain about the view. That's a good one too. That's a real good one. That's a great one. So, um, I think your question was, what's our role? You know, with our staff as mentors. So, you know, obviously we're going to get a little bit deeper into it, and I don't want to hear your exact thoughts on, on the value of a mentor, but on the mat, I'm going to keep bringing it back to the mat. Like one of the most valuable aspects of, of having a, a mentor on the mat. And another word for that is instructor is teacher is accountability, so, right? So it's, it's where, where this, in a lot of ways, we're not the standard, we're our standard of measurement and we hold them accountable. It's very obvious in, in a jujitsu class. What role do we have with our staff, with the people, I guess, that are uh, open to our influence? in terms of accountability and, and, and being a standard for them? We have a role of responsibility. That's, you know, if, if, you, if you want me to summarize it briefly and then we can expand upon it, we have to acknowledge that what we have is a role of responsibility and not false responsibility. There's false responsibility. There's, we don't want to take responsibility for the things that our staff members must take responsibility for themselves. We're not helping them in that regard. So we don't want to take on false responsibility, but we want to take on responsibility. We want to lead responsibly. And again, John, and I say, I say that because our listeners aren't looking at this. They're hearing it, but you're looking at me right now, like who you're talking about. Because Mr. Kokinos is not John to me. And that's not trivial. Mr. Kokinos is Mr. Kokinos to me. And he's always has been and always will be Mr. Kokinos to me. Mr. Kokinos, when, when I met him in the, in the very early 90s, said to me, Thomas, leadership is not a matter of how many people serve you. Leadership is really a matter of how many people you serve. Furthermore, it's not just a matter of how many. It comes down to the quality of the service. So that's an important distinction is that, that when you say, what is our role? Our role is leadership, but it's leadership in the sense of service. So it's not just giving people an opportunity. It's, exactly. it's, helping, it's helping them grow into something bigger, right? Being a resource, not the source, but a resource. So I not a God, but you have to, you have to be able to see things based on your experience. You're not Nostradamus. Like when you're dealing with the issues that your team are individually with each member are going through, you, you don't have some crystal ball. You're not prophetic. It's not like you're seeing into their future. What you're doing is you're drawing from your past. You're, you're able to provide them with counsel based on the fact that, that you've been where they now are. And not only have you been where they are, they're someday going to be where you now are. 
but you're also making it very clear to them that when they get there, you'll be somewhere else. Right. You're not stagnant. You're not stagnant. You know, Tony's going to say to you, you know, someday I'm going to be where you are now and you're going to let him know. And that's great. And I'm going to help you. And you're going to be where I was. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's important. And that's not a rub. That's not a slight. That's not meant to be condescending. It's very inspiring. No, I was going to say, if you have, if you have a healthy relationship with these people, with your staff, with the guys closest to you, that should be like a, like a hoorah, let's go. Like for, for me and Tony, like he's on board and, and, and he knows that I want him to take my spot, yes. but he can't take my spot until he helps me prepare somebody to take his spot. And in doing that together, the school gets to a position where I get that. I can move to the spot where I need to go. So, so I can vacate that spot and open it for him. And a big part of this is that, that Mr. Kokinos would say, Thomas, I don't want you to only see people as they are. It's important that you see them as they are, because if you see them as they are, you'll get some insight into who they were. If you, if you understand who they are, but most important, you need to see them as they can be. Right. So that leads me to my next question, the value and, and crucial importance of having a mentor like that in your life. So for me personally, I can't, I want to give coach Tony and all the other guys, eventually the life that I get to live yes. and I'm, I'm, I'm working feverishly towards that. But for that to happen, I need to get to a point where I can take that next step. I just don't think that I would have had that foresight or the personal accountability to, to, to move forward with these things if I didn't have a mentor like you pulling me along, forcing me to, to look at myself in the mirror and get out of my comfort zone and take that next step. Well, I appreciate that. And I agree with you. And I, what, I, what I like most is that you said, uh, not the. I've got a few incredible mentors. I, you know, you got one of them. Well, good. You want to, you want to make sure that it's a, not the. And while I have the utmost reverence for Mr. Kokinos, he's not the, he's a, and, and that's his counsel, his advice. The irony of that is that it, it was on his insistence that I not, I not shut myself off to the influence of others and make the mistake of, of thinking that, that he's the source rather than a resource. So that, that in and of itself is extraordinarily qualifying of someone who deserves the role of mentor in your life. Look, you know the story. I don't know if you know the story or not, but it 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 I've told it a bunch of times and it, it never bores me to repeat. Uh, your grandfather was on his deathbed. You know, my dad, your grandpa, was was he was uh about two years into Lou Gehrig's disease on death's door, and he I was still living in the house. It was it was grandpa and grandma and myself taking care of him you know like he could not take care of himself so he needed to be taken care of and it was it was a it was an honor and a privilege to do things for my father that he did for me when i was incapable of doing them for myself so you know sometimes the tables turn uh and i was listening I was taking care of him, you know, uh, grandma never left his side. Like she, she, you know, you know, grandma, she's, you know, your, your, your mother's mother and, uh, we can laugh and giggle. And, uh, but one thing I'll tell you for sure is she did not leave his side. So we're home and I'm in the dining room, you remember, and I'm listening to a, a cassette called the talking newsletter i'm a couple years into being an efc client you know and i'm listening to the talking newsletter i already i had already met mr kokinos um and 
Mr. Kokinos is, is speaking on the talking newsletter. It was the podcast of the day, but it came in the mail via audio cassette. You follow? Yeah. You follow? And so <clears throat> speaking and anyone who knows Mr. Kokinos knows that he, he doesn't sound like, um, like a conqueror. He's, he, he doesn't wax enthusiastic of a ruffian. You know, he doesn't fancy himself uh, a badass, as it were. He's very refined, very dignified, uh, extraordinarily well-mannered, mature adult. And he's not a lifelong martial artist, which is ironic enough, you know, strangely enough. He practiced some martial arts in his youth but he could not be more dedicated to the martial arts because he understands the effect that it has not only on the school owner and the other professionals on the staff, not only does it have a profound positive effect on the students who are members of that school, not only does it have an effect on their family, the people who don't train, who are related to those who do, it, it has an effect on people outside of, of those who participate in the martial arts or, her, or even intimately related to those who do. It, it has this profound effect on other people who don't participate because of the effect it has on those who do. And, and people think, oh, that's ridiculous. And that's, that's John Kokinos is obsessed with that. Yeah obsessed with the value that the martial arts provides the world with. And he knows that the world, the entirety of our, of the world's population of people are not going to necessarily get on the mat, but it doesn't mean that they aren't going to benefit from what he considers to be one of the most powerful self-improvement programs ever created. So he's, he's extremely dedicated to the, to the betterment and the advancement and the improvement of our profession. Anyway, he's on, he's on the talking newsletter and he's discussing some concepts and some principles. And, you know, he, sa- he doesn't sound unlike Mr. Rogers. You're familiar with Mr. Rogers? Of course, of yeah. course I am. And, uh, you know, and I'm wondering like, I'm wondering what my father thinks of this. I'm wondering, like, he's over there. He's, he's on his deathbed, literally. He's in the living room in a hospital bed. And John's discussing some, some uh, you could say, metaphysical principles of, of uh, personal development. And, you know, your grandfather was a, was a World War II Marine, stormed the beach at Okinawa, spent 33 years in NYPD. When he was a captain, he was the commanding officer of Fort Apache in the Bronx in a period of time when they made movies about it. And, uh, you know, he, he, he lived a life of leadership, but he was cut from a different cloth. Yep. And uh, I, 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 while I'm wondering what it was that he was thinking, he asks me to turn up the volume. So I turn up the volume and he's listening. And I got to tell you, like, you know, you're a McHugh, but you grew up, um, you know, your other half for the Cliffords. Yes. And you're well aware that, you know, we're, we're all really, really good at uh, talking, talking in a manner that we, we brought up earlier in today's episode of, uh, of, focusing on the weaknesses (laughs) that's one way to say it yes yeah Yeah. and and, you know everything is subject to ridicule and i'm waiting for it and he he calls me over and he says listen uh i don't know who that guy is but you better pay attention to what he has to say you better listen to him because you know, you know, you know where I was at in my life at the time, you know, like I, I had made some big mistakes and, uh, and my father was well aware of it. And he clearly encouraged me. 
in no uncertain terms to listen very carefully to Mr. Kokinos. He didn't, he didn't go deep into it. He didn't make a big deal of it because it, he, kn- he knew that if he had, I probably wouldn't have listened. Right. You know, he was brief and you really need to pay attention to what that man has to say. What, what better endorsement could there possibly be? None. Because I, I got to tell you, I, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. You know, I'd met him already. I'd been around him. And uh, I, I didn't see it. You know, part of the reason was that at that time, Mr. C, his father, John Kokinos' dad, Nick, Nick Kokinos Sr., he was, he was alive and it was, you know, he founded EFC. He founded the educational funding company and he was widely recognized as, as like, you know, the godfather of professional martial arts instruction. You know, he sort of put um, martial arts as a, as a way of not only making a living, but designing a life on the map. He uh, you know, is largely responsible for being the innovator of many of the things that we take for granted today. And Mark Kokinos, John's older brother, and John Kokinos and Ned Muffley were, you know, they were the executive team under the chairman. So at, at that particular time, the perception was that Nicholas Kokinos was the guru. Right. And, you know, the other guys were, were there to, they were the staff. But John Kokinos became Mr. C for me on that day. And, uh, you know, his role, his influence on my life is, I believe it to be exactly what your grandfather anticipated. And I, I'm very, very grateful for it. I don't really, I don't even have the words to describe how grateful I am for that those circumstances. So that's, that's, that's like the backstory. That's, that's where, you know, that's where it kind of began for me in many ways. My, my life as a professional martial arts instructor began there. That's where, that's where I feel like I got my start, but I'm not going to trivialize where I learned my martial arts, you know, the giant whose shoulders I stand on in that regard, because you often talk about how your martial art of jujitsu, um, you know, it's got it all. Everything's there. Like it, the all of the benefits are a function of the hard training. I believe that. I do believe that. But I also believe what you believe, which is you have to get people to nab, notice, appreciate, and believe how what it is they're learning on the mat translates to what is either the misery or the ecstasy of the existence called their lives. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you, you've got to do that. And I I'm so grateful to John, Mr. Kokinos, cause that's probably the last time you'll hear me refer to him as John, but I want to not confuse the audience. Um, Mr. Kokinos is obsessed with the idea of living your life perfectly living your life perfectly and you ask what do you, what are your responsibilities as a leader in your school a big part of that leadership is not only modeling the methods of martial arts instruction but modeling a life outside of your academy that's alluring attractive and appealing. Give me your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, in terms of, listen, that's deep. Yeah. And if you're hearing that right now and you're rolling your eyes or it's not deep, take a deep breath and think <laughs> because you're standing on the shoulders of giants. If you're listening to this and you have a pulse and you have the good fortune to be in, in the martial arts profession, I promise you, you stand on the shoulders of giants and you have to get out of your own way and recognize it's important to acknowledge that and get your foot off of the top of their head. You don't, you don't need to step on it. 
and 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 think about the foundation upon which everything you have has been built much of which has been built for you very very important so you go ahead yeah i mean look i'm a jujitsu guy but i'm a martial artist and obviously like in the jujitsu world the the student teacher relationship just like i guess any other martial art it's a sacred thing um but you could see that relationship get ruptured in different instances. And I'll tell you personally, from a few conversations that you and I have had, like, I can't wait for some sort of normalcy where I can have like refortify the relationship I have with my instructor that I will never you know, like give up. And I've never lost sight of the fact that I'm standing on the shoulders of a giant Ricardo Almeida. Like everything I have in my life is because of Ricardo. I also can't overlook the fact that everything I have in my life is through the introduction you gave me to Ricardo Almeida. I had no business meeting and training with Ricardo and, and his, his professional MMA team when I did. I got to do that through your relationship, your hard work that you forged with Ricardo. Yeah, well, everything happens for a reason and you have to decide what it is. Like, like everything happens for a reason and, and you better make sure it's a good one. I mean, that, you know, that would be the, the, the summary of that is, is, you're where you are and there is a reason for it. You have to make sure that reason is, is full of as much value for yourself and others as possible. So in other words, that's what makes you more than deserving of all of those things. I, I appreciate that. And there's two sides to the coin. Like you kind of touched on it before one of the problems is maybe you can't see the value that you're getting from your mentor mentee relationship, but uh, that's your fault. Yes. You know what I mean? Like it's an, so I was asking you, we didn't really get to it, but I was asking you, what's your role as a mentor for like your staff and, and what do you owe them and how do you go about it? I want to see the flip side of that. Like how, how do you squeeze the most out of that, out of your mentor, I guess, out of that relationship? Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you see the value in it? How do you make sure you're, you're, you're getting the most out of it that you possibly can? Well, I, I, a very important thought there is that, you know, I take a lot of notes <laughs> because Mr. Coquinos will say things to me. Um, you know, we spoke yesterday for about an hour and we talked about some things that they, they didn't resonate with me. They just didn't. So I wrote them down because I, I, they often resonate with me. Uh, Ten, year, 10 years later but here's the thing like let's be honest people are people are idiots especially me I am, yeah people I are stubborn people are stubborn and oblivious especially me a short note is better than a long memory so, so but here here's the here's my point like I'm, I'm a stubborn idiot and i'm pretty sure like i i've benefited greatly from my relationship in a lot of ways i don't deserve to and let's be honest if if my mom wasn't your sister, you would have given up on me long ago when I was clearly not receptive to your influence. Let me let me stand like first of all, that's not true. It is true. Well, I appreciate that, but look, what I'm saying is, I, I wasn't as active in in pursuing your influence as I should have been. I like I you are. It's very clear that you see the value in your relationship with John Coquinos. And you are very vocal about it and you're very active in pursuing his influence. Like you, and you're, you're constantly trying to give back, which you'll never give back as much as you receive, but you're trying. I am trying, but, but like, I, I ask myself, I ask myself the very same questions. Like, you know, um, Mr. Coquinos did not put me under his arm into his armpit and uh, shield me from the sunlight and the rain and the elements and the things that I needed to grow. He took me under his wing, but he didn't keep me there. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't put me in a cage and clip my wings. Um, he, you know, sometimes I felt like he, he gave me just enough rope to hang myself. And, and uh, you know, like, I, I, I look back and go, wow, like I really, I, I messed up, you know, he, he, he didn't, he didn't 
rein things in when he should have ought to have reined them in. But I have to believe that that would be false responsibility. You know, he, he, look, you know, this man, you got Scarlet and Avery. And if you don't let them fall down and skin their knee, the, the reality is they're going to fall off of something bigger and break their neck. Right. So, so often Mr. Kokinos got out of my way and allowed me to pursue the, the idiocy of my immaturity and, and fell miserably. But what he doesn't do is shut the door. Right. I want to, I want to point out the importance here because I think. And the doors are open. Like I can always knock on the door. He's look, I've done some things that if I were him, I'd have locked the door. I'd have changed my number. I'd have, I'd have written me off a long time ago, but man, the, the guy never turned his back on me once, not, not one time. I, I, I tricked myself into believing that he did because like he wasn't there to catch me when I fell, yeah. but I I'm grateful that he wasn't there to catch me when I fell. I think the, but the valuable lesson I think is you didn't fall victim to resentment where in, in that mentor mentee relationship, oftentimes when, when things go a little sour or South, even momentarily, you, you turn to resentment. You blame your, your mentor for not doing it for you. Or, you know, you blame your shortcomings and failures and inability to, you know, be receptive to their influence. You blame it on them and you get resentful and you turn your back on that, your mentor. It's clear that time and time again, you did knock on the door. You brought yourself to, to go back to your mentor because you saw the value in it. Yes. Yes. And, and if we're going to bring it back to martial art, like, again, I'm a jujitsu guy and I know how, how stubborn these guys can be. And I'm just imploring, imploring anybody listening to this. If you don't have an active relationship with a mentor in your life, somebody who's blazed the trail, who's a few steps ahead of you, who is is willing to you know offer their their guidance, you're you're failing yourself. You're missing out on a huge opportunity for growth and responsibility. Yeah, there, there aren't too many fatal errors, but that's one of them. Like. Yeah. Look, we live in a, in a day and age where um, the world, contrary to, contrary to what Rocky Balboa said, that it's, it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows. It's not all sunshine and rainbows, but it, it's not quite the, the, the diamond hard, um, you know, uh, jungle that perhaps it once was. The fact is we live in a very nerfified world. You know, we yeah. enjoy a lot of, so, so we're not subject to the same sort of catastrophes that we once were, which often tricks us into believing that, that we're going to be okay, regardless of how much self-sabotage we participate in. So what, what we won't get away with though, what, what will be a fatal flaw, what the nerf will not save us from is cutting ourselves off from the experience of those who came before us. It's, it's a fool's move. It's, 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 it's beyond idiotic. I promise you that anyone who says they're a self-made man, anyone who deludes you into believing that they did it all on their own, that um, nobody helped them, that they had, you know, my mommy and my daddy or my this and my that. Uh, everyone, people have a story like that, but it's a false narrative. If you peel the onion deep enough, somebody, somebody was there to provide you with an example that your imagination is just not capable of creating on its own. It's just not. You could, you could, again, you could trick yourself into thinking like I came up with that. You didn't come up with that. You didn't. The genesis of your idea came from somewhere else and not just somewhere else from someone else. It's important that you acknowledge that. I mean, I, I give you one example right now that like maybe get, you know, somebody's going to want to hyperextend my arm. Uh, 
I, I hear people sometimes suggest that like the relationship between Japanese jiu-jitsu and Brazilian jiu-jitsu is trivial at best. That that's laughable. Like that's obscene. That is that's revisionist history. Yeah. So bizarre, so off base. It's such a perversion of reality that that I, I don't even want to contaminate my brain with that notion for more than a moment for fear that it'll manifest and metastasize. It's it's delusional. Like, you know, the 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 shoulders upon which the Gracie family stood includes a lot of Japanese gentlemen, a lot of warriors from uh, from the land of the rising sun. And to, to trivialize that and disregard that would, would be an insult to your own intelligence. So I only bring that example up because sometimes we're in a situation that is as obvious as that. We got bitter instead of better. And for whatever reason, our fears and insecurities have led us to a point where we've decided that we came up with all of this on our own, that, that we, we did this in a vacuum and, and you didn't, right. you didn't. So, so to me, that's the foundation that, uh, that you, you want to lay out or the premise that you would build the, um, the valuable relationship of, of master and apprentice from that vantage point. And again, like you already have these people in your life. They're, they're, if they haven't passed, they're already in your life, which leads me to how we should conclude. You know, I have some mentors who don't know they're my mentors. I have some mentors in the martial arts, I'll name one. Um, Tiger Shulman, Danny Shulman, and his brother, Ron Shulman. Dan Shulman, Ron Shulman, uh, you know that we didn't have a particularly positive past. That, that I made some very, very foolish, ego-driven decisions, mostly out of insecurity and jealousy that, that almost led to you know, me having my, my jaw wired. Like, you know, Dan Shulman is, he's like about a decade older than I am. And he's in better shape right now than I was when I was in my athletic prime, far better shape. And so is Ron. These guys are legends in the martial arts. They've done more for the martial arts with the martial arts than I ever have. And I made the mistake early in my career of looking at the showmans, like they're my, my, like Dan showman's my arch nemesis. Is that the right word? Or sure. Enemy and my competition. And I'm here to tell you that he didn't look at me like I was his competition because I wasn't, I was my competition and he was his competition. I wasn't even a blip on the radar. I'm still not. The guy opened up 50 successful schools, not, not serial uh, opening and closing of schools, 50 schools with, with the name Tiger Shulman's on the sign, um, all operating uh, extraordinarily successfully at the same time. You know, he had at the peak of their, uh, at the height of their prowess, I believe they had 50 locations. So if you don't know who Tiger Shulman is, you have a thumb and you have a smartphone, look him up. You know, they, they, they can fill three UFC rosters, uh, you know, fight, fight cards with their own active pros. Like they have enough fighters to fill three cards. They have enough active UFC, um, what would you call? Caliber fighters. Well, not just caliber, contracted. They're on the roster. You know, and they could fill up a few cards, their own organization by themselves could, you know, with opponents could literally fill an undercard and a main fight card. 
they're just they're extraordinary and to and to not acknowledge that would be foolhardy now master shaman is a mentor to me i've maybe had five conversations with him in my life two of them weren't very pleasant but the other three were very pleasant and what i spent most of my time doing when i had an opportunity to to really speak with mr shulman in a in a sincere manner was to recognize the profound influence that he's had on my career that that he's been a mentor for me from afar uh i've had to fill in the gaps with my imagination in other words i don't have the benefit of uh, i i do not have um the good fortune to avail myself to his advice. I can't call him up on the phone. I can't knock on his door. I mean, maybe I can, but I haven't. But I've certainly paid very close attention to the example that he set. And he is a giant whose shoulders I stand upon. And I acknowledge that, I recognize that. And I, and I don't want anyone to think that even if I could, which I couldn't, but even if I could, that I would try to step on his head. Wouldn't do that. Would not do that. He's, he's been such a positive influence on your career and my career. And not only everybody here on the East Coast, but everybody on the West Coast as well, many of whom don't even know it. And let's mention one more person, like the effect that Dave Kovar has had on the martial arts, not just nationally, but globally is immeasurable. There are a lot of people who are running martial arts schools unaware of the fact that the bulk of what they're doing comes directly from Mr. Kovar's brilliance and Mr. Kovar's efforts and Mr. Kovar's fidelity to a worthwhile endeavor, which is to go around the world like Johnny Appleseed you know, it, uh, sharing the very best of his ideas. And and then the, the lunacy is we can convince ourselves that, that we did it all, that we can, that we made it all up. Yeah. That yeah. we invented the, the intro class, that we invented the enrollment process. And if, if you're deluding yourself in that manner, because you're not consciously aware of the fact that you're doing it, then, you know, all right, well, now you are. Do you know how, do you know how I, I know I'm doing a, a pretty good job with my staff? Go ahead. They, they speak very highly of you and John Coquinos. That's a sign, you know, like I, I would, I would be mortified if my, the people who I am responsible for leading weren't aware of, of my resources you know, and I, and I don't mean to use the word resource as if like they're not human beings, like, you know, but I, I do have to pinch myself and remind myself because I'm subject to the same stupidity where I've tried to elevate my instructors and Mr. Kino, Mr. Kokinos to some godly role. And they, A, don't want that. And they, they B, don't deserve that. And I don't mean they don't deserve it in the sense that they haven't earned the, uh, the inclination for me to think that way. They don't deserve to be painted into a corner where, where they're, they're placed in a position of taking on false responsibility. John Kokinos and Dave Kovar and Dan Shulman and Ruben Pret and Tom Bizio and the, Dave Chamberlain, the list goes on. They don't deserve to be given the false responsibility of, of being made into my God. But they certainly need to be recognized for being my guide. Right. They have to be. I mean, and if, and if, if, well, I think, I think if you fail to point that out, especially to your staff and your students, you're propping yourself up as their God. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You're, you, you have an inadequacy and you're trying to make up for it. Good luck. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I believe we've covered a good 
amount of the ground reference to this master apprentice relationship. Um, we can also call it the senpai kohai relationship or the senior junior relationship, but we all have them. If we're not aware of it, we should make ourselves aware and then we should do our best to live up to our roles because it's a, it's a two-way street. We both have responsibility in that, in that, you know, in in this role uh, or these roles. Um, I'm looking forward to next time. And next time we're going to turn the tables and I I really want to get your insights into what it is you're doing to create an environment of martial arts instruction and intensity that's uh that's bringing about the results that you're now enjoying yeah i'm looking forward to it today was good i enjoyed the talk and next time's gonna be awesome too thank you sir i uh, look forward to speaking with you next week i hope take care kiyoshi take care guys Enjoy the podcast thank you